Welcome to Machine Learning. I want to talk about Rambi or Juan <coughs> trades per day as of in 2013. So the way the currencies work is they, they trade on the foreign exchange and they can trade change <coughs> as, as a currency uh, swap. So the central plank banks play a, set, a critical role in the exchange of currencies. For example, the European Central Bank and the Chinese Central Bank um, exchange currencies through what's called a currency swap. So in 2013, they exchanged uh, $60 billion. And that may have been just some early preliminary exchanges in order to um, to facilitate trade between the two countries. The currency swaps ensure the ECB has access to a continuous supply of want. So the Chinese want to sell their products <coughs> in want rather than rather than uh, buying dollars and then uh, completing the transaction in dollars. The one is in 2013 was the 17th ranked currency in trading and over $120 billion of one were trading per day versus $34 billion per day in 2010. So in less than three years, the one had accelerated fourfold. So you can imagine it's now been a decade how much yuan per day is trading and that currency is getting strong and we've, we've talked about that it had to increase 40x to catch up with the dollar. Hey, get over here. Sit! Um, the offshore yuan center in London has improved relationships with China and the UK. Yuan financing of import and exports increased $42 billion. China's roadmap to internationalizing the yuan is as follows. Use the yuan to issue foreign loans. Two, controls the size of the external debt. Three, use the yuan for direct investing. Four, set a quota for foreign direct investment. Five, create a yuan denomination debt bond. Five, uh, five create denominated debt bonds. Uh, six, allow central banks to use the yuan to buy debt. And that one is an important uh, strategy for increasing the usage of the yuan. Seven, allow companies to issue equity depositor receipts in China and Hong Kong. Eight, allow international companies to list in China. Nine, introduce the concept of internationalized yuan. I think they're doing that through SDRs. Um, 10, free up the interest rate markets. 11, trade the yuan with the 
basket of other currencies against the dollars. Connect the yuan debt to Shanghai International offer right. So basically, they create are creating a miniature Federal Reserve. Uh, it's definitely patterned after the Federal Reserve, where you have discount rates, and then those discount rates will be largely used uh, for determining debt costing. It's also interesting because it almost looks like that the currencies are becoming a international economic currencies, which is used somewhat to exchange between groups digitally. And that's not a good thing. We want to maintain our sovereignty. And in order to do that, we need to have our own currency so that we're not connected to a, a single basket currency or even a group of currencies like the SDR. The SDRs are um, almost like an investment vehicle where you're diversifying currencies as a commodity and then buying into the basket as an investment. And uh, it um, central banks use that to balance out the risk of one currency against another. And um, but at the same time, it doesn't acknowledge the low performance currencies like we saw in the 2008 meltdown where we realized that there were lots of bad loans that were, were uh, being extended by Germany to France and that was a high, the highest risk element. We also know that there were bad loans in Portugal, Ireland, um, and Spain, and Europe then uh, received some financial relief, but in the large part, their financial markets were severely weakened. Um, The um, so it's interesting that if you look at, uh, for example, in 2013, if you look at uh, yen, yen was gaining strength against the yuan. So um, probably the two largest trade partners would have be for China would be the United States and European Union, but the third would probably be Japan. And uh, in 2013, the yuan to yen currency ratio was 0.0697 versus 0.0806 in 2012. So in one year, there was a 14% change in the currency valuation. And when you're talking about currency valuations, you're talking about very small changes, but 14% is, is significant. So the yuan was strengthening against the yen and uh, the depreciation yen could be felt throughout Asia. As the yen weakens, Bank of Japan will see more investors uh, interested 
yen carry trade, an interest carry trade, an arbitrage where cheap yen is borrowed and invested in high yield devices in other countries. The carry trade fuels Japan's 200% of gross domestic product appetite. The yen carry trade is perceived to be a stable way to make money. Increasing the yen does not fluctuate uh, wildly. So again, that's, that's why central banks are, are kind of above the economies is that they now use the currency valuations, which they can use savings to, or um, investment accounts to affect the valuations of those currencies. And then as a result, they use these carry interest carry trades to make money off of it. It's almost like companies that um, do overnight lending. There's a certain percentage of money they make for every loan that they issue out, the money that's issued out, um, and there's a cost to using that money. And so you can see here through the arbitrage, there was a cost to use the low cost yen against the yuan, and uh, they were making money um, on that difference. Um, as I look at uh, the yuan, um, in 2012, it was an interesting time because the yuan was appreciating against the dollar. So, oh, it, it just the opposite. It was depreciating against the dollar. You know, when Trump came into power, you know, it was restoring some of the yuan had appreciated um, probably from the early 2000s to the time that Trump was in power, about 30%. And uh, I've got to somehow get access to uh, foreign exchange uh, currencies and then start uh, putting that in Python and analyzing those trends. But uh, <clears throat> I think uh, the, the question was, is why in 2012 had the yuan been depreciating against the dollar? Well, it has again to go back to central, how the central banks are behaving. China's central bank wanted to slow the sell-off of foreign assets to buy yuan. The decreasing valuation of yuan did signal an increased outflows of capital. Okay, so in 2012, which would have been four years after the financial meltdown, um, because of the central bank's policy, um, a lot of infusion of, of money, uh, they were heavily involved in bailouts, and also that the government, Chinese government, had been engaged in large public work projects that were not market-driven, meaning that they had produced um, 
public works projects like uh, building hundreds of thousands of apartments that were largely vacant and in anticipation of potential future growth um, that was not directly targeted at uh, the free market response for demand. And as a consequence of that, it was not producing profits. Those projects were not producing profits. And so I think as foreign investment was looking at that, they were saying that it didn't make sense for this huge infusion of, prod of money uh, in the terms of building infrastructures, railroads, uh, roads, highways, uh, energy projects, things that the, the Chinese government was advertising was gonna be helpful for the Chinese economy uh, and yet did not directly translate to profits. And those type of uh, socialized plans even though they may have sound good on paper, had a negative impact on the market. So, you know, the market runs on free, free exchange of supply and demand as you're taught in economics. And when you deviate from those supply and demand principles or laws, <clears throat> then what you have is investor correction. And so what the correction was is that there was an outflow of hot money or um, could have been in form of private equity or hedge funds moving out of China, and that was causing the devaluation to occur. There are risks for foreign countries holding large amounts of U.S. debt. China is calling for the diversified currency independent of the U.S. <coughs> And I think that that's uh, probably true today, that there is um, that continued trend. And what I was telling my wife is that most of the things that we're seeing in 2022, which is now one decade away from uh, 2012, were largely established, those policies were established and objectives and goals were established in 2012. Because what you see is a massive financial breakdown in 28, and then you see overreaction by government bailouts, and then by 2012, you're starting to see the long-term formation of strategies by these large governments uh, for their strategic plans for the, the uh, next several decades. A weaker renminbi makes Chinese imports, exports more appealing because they cost less. Central banks' monetary policy of weakening its currency signals slower growth in their economy. In 2012, U.S. deficit was 296 billion. Why are the Chinese investors taking their money out of China? The Chinese government is guiding the renminbi lower at the same time net outflows of capital is according. The outflow of capital is according. The Chinese real estate bubble is deflating. 
China's exports more high-tech and communication equipment. The RMB rose 5.5% against the euro, decreasing exports to Europe. China has 3.3, in 2013, China had uh, $3.3 trillion in foreign reserves. In 2011, U.S. imports were an all-time high reached in 2008. So just right before the subprime uh, started to really impact world economies, we had the highest level of imports that we ever have experienced uh, up to that point in 2008. So in 2011, looking back, we were saying 2008 had peaked with our, our imports. And so as the RMB depreciates against the Euro, then exports in the European Union increase. And so they became a very important partner to China and still continues to be an important part of China. And that may be part of their long-term strategy along with Russia is once that the, uh, um, the military confrontations that are going on, the conflicts in that region, I guess would be a better way to say it, and their high-intensity conflicts, uh, hasn't broke out into a world war, so you can't really declare it as a, a war, but the high-intensity conflicts in the Ukraine, um, and then there will be a stronger relationship between Russia and China and in the rebuilding of that region uh, under Russian Russian uh, influence, and probably Chinese influence too. China keeps the yuan valuations lower by keeping their currencies higher, by uh, creating artificial demand for other currencies. So that could mean that, that could have also meant that maybe there's more currency swaps that are occurring where they're buying, exchanging one currency for another for a set amount of time. When then once that contract uh, completes, then they exchange the currency back in the reverse. So they buy um, yen with the yuan, and then when the currency reverses, they buy yuan with the yen. Um, says that Japan took measures to keep the yuan from appreciating against other currencies, which meant that they were uh, selling off yuan and making the, uh, the demand curve drop. South Korea, Brazil, and Singapore doubled taxes on capital inflows, keeping their currencies from appreciating. So again, these central banks, they, they are uh, kind of these buffers on the currency trading. And if you look at the amount of currency that trades in the world, it's, it's almost like bond trading. It's massive. And uh, probably the least understood trading mechanism or vehicle known to mankind is the foreign exchange trading. Because it's done between large entities and and uh, we don't directly know how that trading occurs and 
what what type of actions are are happening out on the foreign exchange and so it does seem stay somewhat invisible and these entities these central banks stay somewhat invisible also um so something to consider and and definitely it's something that wall street watches the these events that wall street watches and that's the people with money are watching uh, what's going on in the central banks and how com- com- countries are reacting to their either their currency evaluation appreciation or devaluation see in in 2012 um, these these are pieces of information I had gleaned from Wall Street Journal when I was reading them I used to get the Wall Street Journal and I read it from front to end and if there's article that caught my attention I would I would summarize it but uh, I learned from an economic professor who is had a good piece of information to for me. Uh, can't say everything that I learned from him was bad, but um, he did say if you want to understand economics, which is a religion, economics is definitely a religion. Um, study the Wall Street Journal. I thought that was a really interesting comment that he made, and because he was the expert, right, and. So as a student, here's this expert saying, you know, if you really want to understand how the world works, study the Wall Street Journal. Well, I did start understanding the language and the terminology of the Wall Street Journal, and it was quite an education. And, I, and so um, I started to form my own models of how the world works because they were different from the models that he had been teaching us. I mean, he had taught, he had been teaching simple models like microeconomics, macroeconomics, the history of economics, and uh, and those were um, important concepts to me at the time, but less so today. I don't read those the same books that I read back then. I don't read um, Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations, but. I did start reading the Wall Street Journal. Um, and Japan banks buy U.S. bonds while China sells off. That was one of the headlines. And uh, Japan has over $1 trillion of public debt. Japan is buying U.S. treasuries while China is buying uh, off treasuries, allowing China's purchase of treasuries is... Um, 1.1 trillion and uh, what, what that was is there was kind of a panic on that for a little while and the thought was well is China making a big move and I don't think that the central banks actually make big moves like that they just make small incremental adjustments and that's what was happening but yet investors probably were using that um, speculation to drive, increase fear and then profit off of uh, shorts against that fear call. And those are things that uh, are really vicious in this particular market and cause you to to somewhat think um, is that, 
you know, pretty much most of the news you want to ignore because it, it doesn't, they don't have uh, models disciplined by large amounts of study and thinking about how the behavior of the system actually works. So you want to take more of an organic approach to understanding money, which is watching the behavior of the system rather than the speculation. Because investing on fear is a terrible way to, to try to, to earn a, a living. And it's better to look at uh, optimistic approaches where there are growth and healthy growth. Um, and you understand the fundamentals of price earnings. Which is that companies survive if they have an earning. And those earnings are reflected either in the growth of the company where they're diverting those earnings back into the company or they are uh, rewarding the investors with dividends. So one of the two approaches become important to investors is what what is their price earning ratios. So if the price is 10,000 to their earnings and they're still heavily invested into the company, then they have lots of optimism about the future growth of the company. And if they are foolish enough to be trying to predict what the price is at those price earning ratios, then you would call those individuals speculative investors who are trying to profit on price movement. And they may be uh, looking for small price movements either in the negative or positive to acquire a small profit. And that's not what I'm talking about, that type of mentality. I'm talking about uh, looking at real earnings and directions of companies. So in 2012, China sold $100 billion in treasuries. At the same time, Japanese banks were buying treasuries to reduce exposure to the euro. So again, there was problems in Europe. So. They were seeing that European banks were weaker than the U.S. banks and they were wanting to move out of that. They realized that there was a real estate bubble that occurred in Europe and things were going to correct soon. Uh, When rates increase, real estate valuations decrease. A decrease in the valuations decrease asset value in the Japanese bank portions in their shadow accounts. The no reported valuations represented losses to the bank. The shock uh, market anticipated these losses and lower price expectations based on demand. The bank stock will shock um, will begin to de- bank stock will begin to decrease. The large Japanese banks represented a quarter of the Japanese stock market. And that was kind of a surprise when I I discovered that, that the uh, post accounts, postal accounts accounted for a quarter, which meant that that the Japanese saved in a certain way and in a certain type of uh, savings account. And those accounts were used in the uh, Japanese stock market. So there's a, there's a, 
and it could explain why the the stock market was affected by this move. The Japanese stock market was affected by this move. A sudden drop in the bank stock prices would bring uh, trigger a sell-off. Therefore, Japanese banks are forced to buy U.S. Treasuries to keep rates low. Karate versus Kung Fu currency wars, and uh, that's a good place to stop. <laughs>